be seated. Wow, that was really good. I'm just sensing in the room that you wanted to clap a little longer than that, didn't you? That was pretty awesome. Well done, worship team. We're very proud of you. Uh, if, if you live in Chicagoland, which I think is most of us, you probably watched on the news this week, heard on radio or on television or something, that the main Harvest Bible Chapel uh, has, has had controversy recently. Raise your hand if you heard in the news this week about what's going on at the Big Harvest. See, now, if I had asked you two weeks ago, very few hands would be going up because it was pretty much like an internal thing. So our elders have been monitoring what's been going on up there for years because it's been an unfolding thing. But this last week, it, it got thrust into uh, secular media. and Everybody was talking about it. Man Cow was talking about it. And if he's talking about it, he's talking a lot about it. So our elders took time to prepare a statement this week. And if you're on our email list, you get a statement like this. That's one of the reasons you should be on our email list because when we have important news to share, we send it out to the whole church. Uh, but I want to read that statement to you this morning because there's a lot of confusion, there's a lot of misinformation, and we want you to know where we stand on this. So uh, here's what it says. Dear church family, for several years our elders have been monitoring the increased commotion coming from the main Harvest Bible Chapel in Elgin. The controversy surrounding Pastor James escalated this week. We want you to understand what is happening. Number one, what is happening? Spanning many years now, an unusually high number of former members and former elders from the main Harvest have raised concerns about the leadership culture, and about Pastor James's integrity as a leader. A few former members started a blog to document examples of questionable behavior by Harvest leaders. Then, Julie Royce, an independent journalist, began writing a story for World Magazine about the complaints at the main campus. Pastor James responded by suing the two bloggers, suing their wives, and suing Julie, the journalist who was writing this story. After Julie's attorney requested and received much new information, about Pastor James and the church, Pastor James decided to withdraw the lawsuit. Based on a pattern of spiritual abuse and ongoing mismanagement, many, including Julie Royce, are calling for Pastor James and the elders to resign and repent. Uh, this week, Pastor James stopped short of repentance and took a sabbatical, removing himself from leadership at Harvest indefinitely. He is also removing his radio uh, and television show, Walk in the Word, from all stations. So that, that's what's happening. Number two, why is it happening? Uh, many credible sources, including the former chairman of the elders from the main harvest and eight previous elders, have publicly stated that Pastor James is spiritually disqualified from ministry due to his patterns of anger, his lack of accountability, and financial indiscretion. The current elders of Harvest Elgin have had years to resolve these complaints and have not. Nor have they demanded biblical repentance from Pastor James. So that's why it's happening. Number three, how are we responding? We do not endorse how Pastor James and the executive elders are handling this crisis. We are saddened to see how the Church of Christ is being damaged in the eyes of the world by this ordeal. In 2017, Harvest Palis responded to this pattern of unresolved sin and what we view as mismanagement of the old Harvest Bible Fellowship by withdrawing our affiliation. We then joined the newly formed Great Commission Collective along with about 90 other Harvest churches I currently serve on the board of directors with this church planning network. We've been an independent church since we installed our own elders in 2011. We were planted out of the Big Harvest, and I was trained by Pastor James, but we became an independent church in 2011 as soon as we installed our own elders. So we're not tied to Harvest Elgin other than by sharing a common name. 
In order to further distance ourselves from Harvest Elgin and to protect our congregation from additional fallout, the elders decided to begin the process of rebranding our church in 2019. Our core distinctives will remain the same, but we will find a new way to express these biblical values in the months ahead. Earlier this week, I worked with seven other Harvest pastors to develop an official statement on this matter. This statement reflects the heart of our elders at Harvest Palis as well. In light of the Harvest Bible Chapel elder update today regarding James McDonald, we want to make our stance clear both to our member churches and the larger Christian community. What is needed in this situation at hand is true heartfelt repentance by James and for the elders at Harvest to fulfill their biblical responsibility. We hope that a long-term indefinite sabbatical will help this to occur, but believe it is only possible if the plan described is completely void of manipulation and avoidance. In keeping with our past private statements to Harvest leadership and our pastors, the primary issue is not reconciliation or peacemaking, it is repentance. A peacemaking process, while helpful for personal and relational reconciliation, is not the approach to address failed governance, biblical disqualification, and a toxic leadership environment. Our hope and prayer is that the Harvest Bible Chapel elders will shepherd James toward the proper care of his soul and a genuine repentance evidenced in the months to come. We will continue to pray for all involved. If you want to know more about this controversy, we recommend that you read the articles posted by Julie Roy's and please contact the elders with any questions. Our leader team spent about an hour yesterday talking about this, so feel free to ask your small group leader about it. Um, there's a lot of information and misinformation out there, so we do want you to know that everything that we've read by Julie Royce is accurate, spot on, and trustworthy, so you can trust what she's saying. A lot of other sources are maybe, maybe not, um, but uh, small group leaders know some things, our elders know more, and this is going to continue to unfold. More will continue to come out, so we just want you to know how we're responding to this and why. Well, let's pray uh, before we get into God's Word together, lifting all this up to the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for Harvest Bible Chapel. Uh, we do thank you for the church that you formed and grew there. Uh, we thank you, Lord, for the uh, mission of that church and for how the gospel is proclaimed, how lives have been changed forever, how Pastor James has used his gift to serve you faithfully. Lord, marriages have been saved, addictions have been broken, souls have been uh, pride free from, from the jaws of darkness, and Lord, uh, nothing that's happening right now takes away from the work that you have done there our church owes Pastor James and Harvest a great debt of gratitude, Lord, as they launched us, they supported us, they trained me. And so, Lord, we're so thankful, but we're also heartbroken. And we pray that this church would see revival through repentance. We pray that you would lead the process through the elders whom your spirit has appointed as shepherds and overseers of the flock to do what is right. We pray through that process that the gospel would be lifted high, that the Lord Jesus would be the name above every other name. And we pray, Lord, that as this happens, that you would show, O oh Lord, yourself in glory. Lord, we just lift all this up to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, we are going to move forward now and get into God's word. And um, I ask you now to open up to the book of Romans, chapter 4, verse 9. The book of Romans, chapter 4, verse 9. The series that we are in is called Romans, Nail It Down. Nail It Down. The title is our, uh, we're tipping our hat to the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. And the book of Romans was instrumental in changing hearts like Martin Luther and showing him that salvation is not by works but by faith, showing him how the church of his day had skidded over a cliff and, and had basically turned against the gospel in its own birthright. So nail it down is a reference to Martin Luther nailing his theses to the church door and starting a revolution that is still uh, bearing fruit today. So Romans, nail it down, 
And uh, we started looking at the life of Abraham last week because what the Apostle Paul is doing in this book is he is pointing to Abraham and saying, look, Abraham is modeling for you everything that I'm telling you. And if I had to summarize what uh, the Bible is trying to convey to us through the first three, four chapters of Romans, through the life of Abraham, here's what it is. We're not saved by works. We're saved by grace through faith. That's the whole point. We're not saved by works. We're not saved by living a good enough life uh, because the standard that God has is perfection. Why would God have such a high standard? Well, because there can be no sin in heaven. Heaven with sin is not heaven. Would you agree with that? Heaven with sin is not heaven. Therefore, the standard has to be perfection, and we can't meet that standard. Therefore, the only way to be in a right standing with God is not by works, but by grace through faith. As I was thinking about <coughs> the challenge of doing something perfect today, I was uh, following a headline several months ago when a bowler at Richards High School bowled a perfect game, like a freshman. And I was like, that's pretty awesome. I was a bowler, and I never bowl a perfect game. I was happy if I got, you know, a turkey strike. You know what that is, right, yeah. fellow bowlers? I was into it for a little while. I had my own ball and my own bag. I did. Never bought the shoes. But, but to bowl a perfect game is like every bowler's dream. So to do it as a freshman. And then, uh, like a month later, a sophomore did it on the same team, on Richards. Check it out. Here's the first bowler bowling a perfect game. We've got footage of it. Now imagine, he's, he's already bowled, you know, 10 frames. He's, he's got two strikes, and now he's got to nail this. No pressure. Everybody's thrilled. So they were pumped about that. And then check it out, it happened again. Here's another bowler from the same team, like a month later, bowling. Here's the next video. Another perfect game. It's every bowler's dream. I was really curious, and so, uh, so I, I pulled up some stats on like how rare it is to bowl a perfect game. Now, it says the odds that an amateur bowler will bowl a perfect game is 1 in 11,500. And they did it, two different players did it in the same season within a month, and they're high schoolers. The, the odds that a professional bowler will bowl a perfect game is 1 in 137, and they're pros. 1 in 137. So what is that, like less than a 1% chance? So, so uh, has anyone in this room bowled a perfect game before? Put your hand up if you've bowled a perfect game. Anyone? I don't see anyone. It's, but if you bowl, you want to, don't you? It, it's your dream. Now listen, here's why I'm sharing this. If you're living life spiritually thinking that your score is what's going to get you into heaven, your score, you know, first of all, let's admit the obvious. No one's bowling a perfect life. All right, and if you think right now your life is nothing but strikes, okay, talk to your mama. All right, she'll humble you real fast. Okay, because you've got so many gutter balls in this life that it's unbelievable. So let's all face the reality. No one's bowling a perfect game. So, so now we're banking on this, yeah, but my score's high enough, right? I'm better than other people. And the Bible is trying to show you that if you're trying to get into heaven by your score, no one will be cheering for you at the gates, okay? So we have to get off that program and realize that if we're honest, we spend most of our time in the gutter. Like, we don't do what we're supposed to do. We do wrong. We, we, we have made a mockery of what God has intended for us. 
So Abraham is going to show us again today what it means to not try and get to heaven by our score, but to get to heaven by what God has done for us. Now look at Romans chapter 4, verse 9. Continuing on from where we were last week, it says this, In this blessing then, uh, is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? Well, it was not after, but before he was circumcised. He, he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that the righteousness would be counted to them as well and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith of our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. I didn't grow up in the church and so when I started going to church there were some things in the Bible that I didn't understand. And the fact that the word circumcision kept coming up so much is something I didn't get at first. And maybe you're with me. You're like, wow, I don't think I've ever heard that word before so much in my entire life. <laughs> Number one, you can jot this down. What made Abraham righteous? This is the question. What made Abraham righteous? When it comes to circumcision, you need to understand biblically it's more than a physical operation. Okay? The way it happened was God told Abraham, this, this is one way that your descendants will be marked as my spiritual children. Right? This symbolized many things. One thing it symbolized is, is being changed. Right? And it was supposed to symbolize not what God wanted to do to the body, but what he wanted to do to the heart. So the operation on the outside was supposed to lead to a corresponding surgery on the heart. And so the Bible would talk about how some were you know, uh, bodily of Israel... But God had never changed their heart. They were Jews externally, but they were not Jews internally. So this was supposed to show them that Abra something changed in Abraham when he had faith. His heart was made new. Circumcision showed on the body what was different about his soul. <coughs> now, when it comes to what made Abraham righteous, the Jews in Paul's day were getting it wrong. They're like, you got to do the Ten Commandments. You got to circumcise your children. You got to go to the temple and give ten. Then you're going to get saved. Paul's like, let's go all the way back to Abraham. He was righteous first. Then God changed something on his body. All right, so let's get the sequence correct. Here's how this applies to you and me. Uh, when it comes to who can go to heaven... The Jews were so racist, so nationalistic, that they looked down on the Romans and the Greeks, those many of them who were not circumcised, and they were like, they're not getting in. They're not one of us. Here's a picture of the temple in Jesus' day, and what you need to know about the life back then is, do you see that wall on the left? See that wall? Uh, that was the wall that walled off the Gentiles from approaching the throne room of God. In fact, if you were a Gentile, non-Jew, and you walked up to that wall, there was a sign there that said, if you pass this wall, you will die. Now, what were they trying to communicate? That you're not welcome in God's presence because you're not one of us. And if you think there was racism and violence in the United States, you know, 50 years ago, look out. This was like 100 times that. Um, and the point is this, Paul in the Bible is trying to show that righteousness is open to all through faith. It's not nationalistic, it's not about a surgery you've had. So write this down. What made Abraham righteous? Not an external religious ceremony or ritual. 
it wasn't circumcision. It wasn't, it wasn't that something happened to his body outwardly. It was that something happened to him internally. Now, there are a lot of religious ceremonies and rituals today in the world. We really don't see a, an operation on a baby, you know, as like, and now he's saved. But this idea, you know, that we can do something on the outside to save other people is still uh, prominent today. So many of us today were baptized as babies. I was baptized as a baby. And in some churches, they teach that that washed away your sin. In other churches, they teach that it just kind of welcomes you into the community of faith until you go on to make your profession of faith, and then the faith is your own. Um, but when it comes to baptism, it's an external thing that can't save you. It didn't save you when you were a baby, and it can't save you now. Nothing on the outside can take care of your internal sin problem. And maybe you were also part of a, of a ceremony like religious ed or CCD or communion or whatever, um, and those things can be important as long as there truly is a saving faith of the Lord Jesus in you. So I went through religious ed. I, I took my first communion. Do you want to see a picture of young Ryan learning, learning about his Catholic faith early on? Check it out. Here's a picture of me early on going through my religious education. Check out that vest and that mullet. See that? <laughs> that, that was me, like, learning and, and figuring it out. But I didn't believe any of it, really. It was just all, all ritual, all rote, all routine until I was a freshman in college. Then I started asking questions trying to find out the answers to life's most important questions. And it was then, when I was a freshman in college, reading my Bible, that I realized, I need to repent. Church can't save me. Baptism can't save me. Religious ed can't save me. Communion and confirmation can't save me. It's faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that saves me. Have you realized that yet? That you're not saved by an external religious ceremony or ritual. Uh, what made Abraham righteous? Not an external religious ceremony or ritual. The Bible is very clear about that. It says here, how then was he righteous? Well, it, it was before all the rituals even came about. There was no circumcision yet. There was no Moses yet. There was no Ten Commandments yet, and Abraham was still a righteous man. So it says in verse 11, he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith. That's the point. Everything you do on the outside in church is meant to show the faith you have on the inside. And is Jesus your Lord? Is he your Savior? Not, not your family's, but yours. Have you been transformed by faith through the Lord Jesus Christ? Uh, jot this down. It's, Abraham was not made righteous through obeying moral laws. Through obeying moral laws. Um, reading on in verse 13... It says, for the promise, this promise is to Abraham and to his offspring that he would be heir of the world, did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring. Not only to the adherents of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. You see what it said there? It said it did not come through the law. It did not come through the law. Moses brought the law down on Mount Sinai. We spent a whole year with Moses last year. Here's a picture of Mount Sinai and with a little shepherd in the foreground there. And, and on that mountain, God shook the, the earth. I mean, there, that mountain was on fire, and God gave Moses the law. 
you need to know that the law is dead serious. When God sends a man down from this mountain holding the Ten Commandments, this is heaven's authority coming to earth. So the Ten Commandments absolutely still reveal to us that God is a just God and that he has a moral will and he expects us to follow it. The, the first five books of the Old Testament is referred to as the law. So all of it is the law. Now how we apply those principles today has changed, but they still are fully revealing God's heart and his, and his moral will. Uh, so don't be like, oh, well, I'm glad we don't have to do those anymore. No, that, it's not as simple as that. God's law is still bearing uh, on his people. And it says here the law brings wrath. The law brings wrath. When it, when it comes to the law, in verse 15, it says the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. There is a law, therefore there is transgression. And because the law brings wrath, you need to know why God gave us his word and his rules. The Ten Commandments were not ten steps to get to heaven. Follow these ten and you'll bowl a perfect life. That's not it at all. No one went up Mount Sinai except Moses. He came back down to tell everybody why they can't go up there. You're not going up there. You touch the mountain, you die. Here's why. So when you stand before God in judgment, the law is not going to be opened up to show you just how good of a boy or girl you were. The law of God convicts us and brings God's wrath. It shows us our sin. And, and therefore, we should prepare for that moment because we know that God's law will condemn us. I want to warn you now that hell is real and and God's judgment is coming. And I want you to be ready before you're swept away by it forever. Anybody standing at the foot of Mount Sinai thinking they're going to walk their way up by good works doesn't understand the point. The Bible talks about another mountain, Mount Zion, uh, the mountain that we can approach God on, not by law, but by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're walking up that mountain, then you're going to get to heaven. It's not through moral law. Moral law, law brings wrath. What made Abraham righteous? Not external religious ceremony or ritual. Not obeying moral laws. It's not that, it, it's not that at all. Number two, jot this down. Abraham was saved through faith. You can fill that in. Abraham was saved through faith. He was saved, and this Christian doctrine reveals what we believe about the nature of man's problem and the only eternal solution. The problem is not financial. The problem is not education. The problem is not uh, society. The problem is not government. The problem we have is primarily, primarily spiritual. All the, all the pain in the world is gushing out of one human heart at a time, polluting people, family, countries, and the world. The source of the problem is inside of us. And therefore, the solution is also inside of us. The problem is spiritual. The solution is new life. Do you believe that? Because that's what the Bible teaches. Abraham was saved. Do you agree that you need to be saved? And he was saved by faith. Do you believe what the Bible told you? Abraham was saved by faith in what he heard. It says, therefore, in verse 12, he becomes the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had. Are you walking in the footsteps of faith? Do you, like Abraham, believe the impossible promises of God? Do you, like Abraham, look up and see what God has spoken and rest your life on that? Jot this down. Abraham believed the impossible promises of God. He believed the impossible promises of God. It says that he believed. He's the father of all who believe. 
Uh, it says in verse 13, the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world, there was a promise that he believed. Uh, and therefore, in verse 16, it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all. Abraham believed what he heard, and that's what made him righteous. Do you believe what you've heard in God's word? If he is the father of all who believe, that means that you have to become a believer to be one of Abraham's offspring. It means that you have to believe what the Bible says in order to go to heaven. And let me just ask you, do you believe the truth about the Lord Jesus? I had a lot of questions when I started going to church as a freshman in college, and I would meet with the pastor, and I'd have a legal pad, and, and I'd write down all my questions, and I'd be like, what about this? What about this? What about this? There was a new thing back then in like 1996 and 7 when I was asking my questions called the internet, and I would go on the internet. It took forever to log on. Remember this? How many of you remember when, you know, you were online, and if someone picked up the phone, it broke your connection to the internet? <laughs> Hang up the phone! I'm researching Jesus! Now it's ruined! I'll never know! It's going to take me another five years to get back online! Right? And, and I would find these sites and what atheists were saying. Um, I want you to know that, that your pastor was a doubter. I didn't believe this stuff, and I challenged everything every step of the way. And I want you to know that this church is a church uh, where we take your questions seriously. Do you know the Bible welcomes doubters? Do you know that the Bible wants you to get your questions answered? Uh, this is not a place where you're supposed to just check your brain at the door and believe everything you heard. You're supposed to look into it. I have a few resources that I'd like to recommend to you that really helped me as I was trying to find out what I believed about Jesus. If you've never heard about Lee Strobel, he wrote several books. One of them is called The Case for Christ. He interviewed some of the brightest thinkers, Christian thinkers, and he asked them questions about faith and Jesus and the Bible. Can you trust this? Lee Strobel, of course, was a Tribune reporter who, who didn't believe any of this, and, and he tried to go off interviewing these people to disprove his wife's new faith. And at the end of the process, he got saved. There's a whole movie about it. But have you read a book by Lee Strobel, The Case for Faith, Case for Christ, Case for a Creator, Case for Easter? He wrote all these books, and he's a journalist who knows his stuff. Also, have you ever read a book by Ravi Zacharias? He wrote a book called Can Man Live Without God? He's an evangelist who, uh, Ravi was saved on a, uh, after he attempted suicide. And there he was in the hospital, and somebody brought him a Bible. He repented, and he got saved, and now he travels the world defending the faith in some of the most hostile environments, countries, universities. Have you read these great thinkers? You know, you can get answers to your questions, but are you willing to have the conversations? Or are you just content to not get your questions taken care of? So he believed the impossible promises of God, but please hear what I'm saying. He didn't believe it blindly. God was giving him evidence every step of the way, and you'll find evidence to believe that faith is rational. So number two, Abraham was saved through faith. He believed the impossible promises of God. Jot this down. He also received righteousness by God's grace. He received righteousness by God's grace. It says in verse 9, we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. I shared last week that that's like an accounting term. It was deposited into his account. And if you went to the bank and opened up your bank account and found 100,000 extra dollars, I think you'd probably get on the phone right away and you'd tell the banker, hey, I need to know if this is mine. <laughs> Because if there was an accidental deposit and I have someone else's money in my account, I could get in trouble if I don't report it. But if there's a miracle that happened and I have $100,000 more, I'm going to Disney, right? 
You'd really want to know how that extra money got in your account, wouldn't you? Now, this is what the Bible's teaching. If you want to get to heaven, God has to deposit something into your account that you could never earn. And what he puts in your account is called righteousness, right legal standing with God. Here's the beautiful nature of this truth. It's not just that God subtracts your sin and treats you like you've never done anything wrong, you know, so, so he's okay with you. He treats you like you've always done everything right. And you're like, but I haven't. Right. That's called grace. God treating you like you're spiritually flawless when you're clearly not is grace. That's the only way you can get to heaven is God giving you into your deposit an astronomical sum of righteousness that you could never earn, right? You, you show up with your little scorecard and it's really pathetic and God marks it down as perfect life. That's how you get in. You have to trust God to give you his grace. That's how Abraham got saved. Therefore, it's not earned by good works. It's not earned by religious effort. It's not earned by charitable deeds. It's freely given to ungodly people. Listen, you will soon stand before the judge of eternity. Everyone. Everyone will be there. Everyone's going. You'll stand there with everyone who's ever lived. Uh, and, and you'll be judged. My son was asking me questions yesterday. I love it when we have Bible conversations. And he's like, I'm really excited about heaven. And the people that I really want to see would be, number one, of course, God. Number two, uh, David. You know, number three, Abraham Lincoln. Number four, and he listed like four people. He's like, they're all going to be there, right? I'm like, uh-huh. They'll all be there for judgment. I, I mean, I, I don't know where everyone's going, but they, they will all be there. And you'll be there. And are you ready to stand before the judge of eternity and give an account for your life? You know, there's going to be a book with everything you've ever did. It's going to be thicker than the Encyclopedia Britannica. Remember when that came out? You know, you could buy it at Dominic's. You know, the whole encyclopedia, your sin record is going to be bigger than that. And if you think your books are going to uh, merit you entrance into heaven, my goodness, if we had an unabridged copy of everything you've ever done or said right here up front, and I offered to give it out to somebody, you would spear tackle the person who was coming up to grab that, okay? If just your words were published, you would be mortified. The full account of your life opened up in heaven for everyone to see, my goodness, None of us will get into heaven because of our righteousness. But praise God, there's another book. And another book is open, it says in the book of Revelation, and that's called the Lamb's Book of Life. And if you belong to Jesus, your name is in that register. And you get in, not because of what you did. You get in by simply saying, I'm with him. I'm with him. That's your speech. If you want to prepare it now, get in front of the mirror tonight, and you can say it, right? I'm with him. You can point. That's the only way we're getting in. It's receive, we receive righteousness by God's grace. And grace is free to you, but it costs God everything. He had to send his son into the world to be horribly mistreated and, and, and betrayed and abused and abandoned. And then he died on a cross and gave up his life, and God watched this happen. But then he was thrown into a tomb, and on the third day, God overruled what the world said, rose his son to life, and now Jesus stands at the right hand of God. He's alive right now ruling heaven. And those who live their life trusting him are in paradise with him right now. And those who had no love for God and no faith in God are in hell right now. There are people there right now. And they will never, ever 
get out. So today, you have a choice to make. Like Abraham, are you going to be saved through faith, or are you going to continue on the works program? Number one, what made Abraham righteous? Not external religious ceremony or ritual, not through obeying moral laws. Number two, Abraham was saved through faith. He believed the impossible promises of God, and he received righteousness by God's grace. Number three, the question for you and me is, are you saved by grace through faith? Are you saved by grace through faith? One of the biggest questions you have to ask is, why will you go to heaven? Most people assume they're going to heaven. You, polls have shown that 0 .0, like 0.05% of people will actually say, I think I'm going to hell. Everyone else thinks they're going to heaven, which is terrifying because that means that most people who are going to go to hell are going to be standing there thinking they're going to heaven. And that could be you. You could have false assurance of your eternal destiny. Why will you go to heaven is the question. Are you saved by grace through faith? We'll put Galatians 3.29 up on the screen. Here's what it says. It says, if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. If you belong to Christ, if he's your king, if he's your Lord, then you get the promise that was given to Abraham so long ago. And the promise is heaven. Uh, Lauren and I have tried to make responsible decisions when it comes to automobiles in our life. You know, when, when I went to you know, Moody Bible Institute to get my master's degree, Lauren was staying home with the kids. We really didn't even have a lot of money. So when it came to vehicles, we've had, we've had to borrow vehicles. We've had people give us vehicles. Like the whole car situation has just been tough. We've had vehicles die. One time, both of our cars were sitting dead on the driveway at the same time. And we didn't have money to fix them. And God has really done wonderful things in our lives with our vehicles. But, you know, it's been, it's been a good streak for a while. We had a used Camry. I know with Toyotas, you got to watch it because sometimes they'll just take off, you know, with the accelerator. I know. Uh, but it's been doing all right. We had a Camry, and then we had a Nissan Quest van. We got that when Lauren had this big, green, ugly van for a long time. And she went to drop the kids off at school and opened the side door, and it fell on her fell on her. She caught it in front of all the other moms. She caught it, put it back up, <laughs> shut it, and then came home and said, it's time for a new van. <laughs> but even then, we bought a used van. We bought a used van, and, and we got a you know, faster payment plan. So we just paid off the van this month. And I'm like, yes, it feels so good. Making the last payment on something is liberating, right? Absolutely liberating. And, and the, the amount you owe to God for your sin can never be paid off by you, okay? Which is why hell is forever. But listen, the Lord Jesus Christ, when he rose on the third day, had a receipt paid in full. Jesus made the final payment for your sin at the cross. And if you accept that by faith, then you're made righteous, but if you continue to try to do it, on, oh no, I'm doing better than ever. I'm getting my life under control. I'm, I'm making progress right now. I've got this. I can feel it. What you're actually doing is you're like putting a fourth floor on your home down below. Okay, are you hearing what I'm saying? Your effort and your works are expanding the reason why you won't be with God forever. You're doing more damage without Christ. So are you saved by grace through faith? Jot this down. Do you believe the truth about Jesus? 
Do you believe who he is? Do you believe what he did? Everyone's still talking about Jesus. I was at CVS this week picking up a prescription. And I saw this magazine on the shelf. Jesus. Life put out an episode of one word. Jesus. I don't know if your life is going well, but I think in 2,000 years, there's probably not going to be a magazine on the shelf that says, Bill, you know, you're, you're not that interesting. I'm sorry if I insulted you, you know, Judy, like he's still fascinating and people are still trying to figure out who he is. I've only read the first few articles here, so I'll probably share more, but the first, the introduction says the carpenter's son who changed everything. It says, to some, Jesus is the Son of God, the anointed, the Christ, born to a virgin just more than 2,000 years ago. To others, Jesus is just a man, albeit a man who spurred through his teaching and exemplary life several faiths now incorporated into Christianity. To still others, he is little more than a myth. Maybe he lived. Maybe an idea. goes on to say, the testimony of these diverse witnesses makes one point clear. Whether Jesus was sent from heaven or not, whether he died on the cross or not, and ascended or did not, Jesus is alive in our time. To believers and non-believers alike, Jesus matters, still matters, he long has, he always will. Hey, have you figured out who this person is that everyone's still talking about? Have you nailed it down in your heart that Jesus is who the Bible says he is? Have you agreed with the Bible that Jesus came down from heaven to save us? That he lived the perfect life and died on the cross, which made him the only one who could substitute for you and me. That the world turned against him, but God raised him up on the third day and exalted him to rule at the right hand of heaven. Do you agree? Do you have faith? Are you a believer? Abraham had faith, and this was 2000 B.C. that God was showing that the way to heaven is not through works, but through faith. Man, if you stand before God on Judgment Day and you show him your merit badges, your sash of all the good things you've done, he could say, I've revealed since 2000 B.C. that this isn't the way you're getting in here. We really have no excuse, and the time is now for you to put your faith in Christ. Do you believe the truth about Jesus? I like what David Bruskis says. He says, the Bible isn't a book about rules to live by. The Bible is a book about a person to live for. Do you live for him? Do you live for him? Jot this down. Do you have new life in Christ? Do you have new life in Christ? In Romans 1.16, it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. This whole section on Abraham is about how his righteousness depended on his faith. And therefore, he's the father of all who would believe, stretching back to 2000 B.C. Do you have new life in Christ? Let me ask you a question. Do you worship Christ? When you come to church on Sunday morning, do you delight to sing of the one who saved your soul? If somebody pulls you out of a burning building, you'd have affection for them. You wouldn't see that person and be like, ah, there's Gary. <sighs> oh, Gary. You would show gratitude. It's him. He dragged me out. Oh, I'm alive because of him. When I was a kid, we went to vacation in Florida, and I was so excited about the pool. I jumped in the pool before I knew how to swim and just sank right to the bottom. And some stranger, some woman came out, jumped down, and pulled me up, right? I think if I met her today, I wouldn't be like, hey, 
You're like, thank you. I'm so glad you were there. Are you an angel? You know? If Jesus saved you, you've got affection for him. You sing to him. He's not just this historical figure. He's your savior. Do you worship him? Or have you placed Jesus in the junk drawer of your life? Every now and then you pull him out when you need him. But then when you don't need him, he goes back into obscurity and means nothing to you. If I asked the five people who know you best, would they say Jesus means everything to you? Or would they say Jesus means nothing to you? Do you have new life in Christ? Only Jesus can bring new life to your soul. Only Jesus can bring joy into your heart. Do you feel like something has been missing in life? You don't know what it is? Without Jesus, you're missing out on everything heavenly. No one loves to miss out, right? If you miss out on something, what? My friends had a party and I wasn't invited? I missed out, right? What? Everyone's going downtown and I have to work? I'm missing out. No one likes missing out. But imagine if you're missing out on everything heavenly. And without Jesus, that's you. God wants to include you in everything that's going on in the unseen realm. That happens when you have new life in Christ. Finally, jot this down. Does your life demonstrate that you walk with Christ? Do you worship him? Do you walk with him? Does your life demonstrate that you have new, that you walk with Christ? Is there evidence? Are you a different person? Is your heart filled with joy as you sing to him? Uh, and, and do you get around God's people and love it? I know, I know. There's strange people in the family of faith. Right? <laughs> You're one of them. And so am I. I know, but we're going to be family forever. All right, this is just warm up. And, and it's time to demonstrate that you walk with Christ. We do that here at Harvest in community. We put people in small groups. We get together. We care for each other. There's some small groups right now where their people are going through such hard times. And do you know what it's like to have a friend who shows up to visit you in the hospital? Do you know what it's like to have somebody text you, praying for you, praying for you? You know, or, or are you all alone? Are you isolated? Are, 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 you, are you going in alone and feeling the pain of that isolation? Does your life demonstrate that you walk with Christ? Maybe it's time to get into a small group where you can be prayed for, where others can help you remember what God has done for you. We, overall, I just want you to walk forward by faith this year, saved by faith, growing by faith, and I think this can be your greatest year of spiritual growth yet. Why wouldn't you aim for that? Why would you aim lower than that? Why would you be like, Lord, I want this to be like the 14th best year of spiritual growth I've had. That's good enough for me. Just, you know, just want to aim low. Why would you do that? Why wouldn't you say, God, take me where I've never been before. Teach me the things that I've forgotten. Right? Show me glory in your word that I've never seen before. Why wouldn't you ask God to lead you forward by faith? And if you've been putting it off and you have never nailed down in your heart that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, why wouldn't you put your faith in Christ and get baptized your very next opportunity? Why would you wait another day for heaven to come into your heart? Don't put that off. Don't, you might not have another year, right? The clock is winding down, not only for each one of us, but for the known universe, right? There is an expiration date to everything around you. Time is of the essence, and why would you wait another day? Abraham now here in this passage is showing us what God has been revealing from 2,000 years before Christ. The story we heard last week was God led Abraham outside. He was a 75-year-old guy with no kids on a 1,500-mile journey going to wherever God was showing him. And he walked outside, and God pointed up and said, look at the stars. God said, count them. And Abraham's like, I can't. 
God said, you're going to have that many descendants. Abraham had no children. 75. And he looked up. Probably thought about the size house he's going to need, right, for that many. And the Bible says he believed God. And then God credited to him as righteousness. It's as easy as that. If anyone's ever like, how are you think you're going to get to heaven, Mr. Perfect? Be like, I'll show you. Watch. <laughs> Want me to do it again? I'll do it again. What are you doing? I'm believing what I heard. Oh, that's not enough to get you into heaven. Yes, it is. Let me tell you about this guy, Abraham. 2000 BC, he went like this, and he got to heaven. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to believe what I heard from above. That's all it takes. Is that your plan? Is that your plan? It's so simple a child can understand it. I'd like to give you a chance to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior today. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we close out and respond to what we've heard. Jesus, thank you for the simple gospel. Gospel is good news. Thank you that if we believe, all of our sins can be washed away. Though they are as scarlet, they will be white as snow. Thank you, Jesus, for the high price you paid for our freedom. Lord, there are some here today who have never reached out and taken hold of the free gift of eternal life. They're still trying to work. They're still trying to impress others and you, and it's not working. So I pray that they would humble themselves and just like Abraham, look up and believe the truth about Jesus. May they be saved. May they be made righteous, perfectly righteous, as if they've never sinned, as if they've lived a flawless life, which is laughable. And yet that's what you give to us through your son. Show us, O oh Lord, that through faith in Jesus, you can redeem the vilest offender, the greatest sinner. Show us, O oh Lord, that as we put our faith in you, we can see your power in our own hearts and in our own lives. We pray, Lord, that as we call out to you, that you would do what you have promised, that you would save by faith, that you would heal, O oh Lord, our souls. And we pray that you would write amazing stories in here that only you can write. Thank you, Jesus, for the greatness of your gift. Thank you that you rule now on high and control all the chaos of our lives and our world. We trust you. We pray this in your name.